Welcome to the SBCA podcast, Component Connection. Looking at how businesses around the country are innovating to take advantage of opportunities in the construction supply chain. Now, here's your host, Sean Shields. Welcome, everyone. On today's podcast brought to you by the Structural Building Components Association, we're going to talk about the housing market. Joining us today is Todd Tomalak, Zonda's expert on building products. Todd kicked off the podcast last year talking about what to expect for the year, and he's agreed to come back and do it all again for 2024. Todd, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you, Sean. Excited to be with you. I'm excited to have you here as well. Okay, so we heard some good news and some not so good news from Zonda's chief economist, Ellie Wolf, at BCMC this past September. You've since put out some revisions and the Fed has made some more decisions recently that may further impact Zonda's outlook. So clearly there's a lot in play. So let's start with the not so good news. What are some of the things that concern you as you look at housing for 2024? So we just issued a new building products forecast, uh, and the the overall theme that we put out was that we we believe we're at the point where we see significantly higher risks over the next, call it six to eight months, a credit unwind, particularly among like middle income America. Think of like the 40th income percentile to the 60th income percentile. There's also some issues going on, potentially regarding owner-occupancy fraud in the mortgage market, it's not so big that it's going to cause anything like the GFC. Anytime we mention fraud, people begin to freak out. That's not the case right now. However, it does mean that we should be watching rents really close. We have this wave of multifamily units coming online, and where the fraud would come in would be some of these single-family mom-and-pop investors who might have used a mortgage to fund the purchase of their property. And if rents begin to go the wrong way, then obviously that's a group that has about a 75% higher rate of strategic walkaway default. So we're watching that pretty closely, but that's what's in front of us. Wow. Okay. So there's some of those things for concern. Anything else on the like supply side or anything else for building products that maybe the supply side should be thinking about? I know this group has a lot of exposure to multifamily and apartments. And uh, one of the things that we sent to clients has to do with with the effect of this almost record supply coming online about the middle of next year. So for your listeners who are probably aware of this, there's almost a million units that are under construction right now. They've already been started. They're showing up as component sales for most of the people on this call. And by about June or July of 2024, those will be completed apartments that will be hitting the market. And then we'll see this game of whether or not the investors that put the capital behind those apartments are able to get the lease up rates, the rent rates, whether or not it looks anything like their pro forma. And one of the worries in the industry, we have a, a whole advisory team that all they do is focus on multifamily diligence. It's not where I touch, but I get a chance to talk to them at length. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you that the interview that I had with Kim Byram, who's the, the head of that group, our official forecast for starts for multifamily next year is for minus 25%, which sounds bad. But then you realize that the number that she's been floating around more likely was she's more worried about like a minus 50% number. And that would all be, that's for the whole year, that would all be second half loaded. So we don't know if that's going to happen, but that is a risk. And I would argue 
that your listeners should, sp- should pay more attention to what happens with apartment rents in 2024 than any other metric compared to other metrics that they've tracked in the past. It should be on their radar coming into 2024. Mm-hmm. So can we dive into that just a little bit? I know it's not your area of expertise, but just you're on that call. Help us understand. So if rents aren't where the investors think they should be, how is that going to affect starts then in the second half? So multifamily is notoriously lumpy. And and part of the reason that it's so lumpy is because if you think about the way that these these properties have to get underwritten, you have a whole bunch of capital in a particular market has to invest in, say, maybe a thousand apartments. And they might use debt on that investment. There's going to be some mix of financial reward that's assumed into that pro forma. But they don't know, in some cases, for several years from the moment they write the check and commit the funds to when their unit actually rents up, whether or not that financially makes sense. So then what happens is we're at the point now when a lot of these units that have been in planning for several years are finally coming to the market. And the financial backdrop was very different at that time. Obviously, Mm -hmm. interest rates are a lot higher. Rent growth was going red hot. It's still coming up okay, but it's beginning to weaken in certain markets. And so now we're at a point where the, the capital has to decide once they deliver these apartments, do we go for another round? Right? Are, we, are, we ready, are we ready to re-up on a, a, another apartment investment someplace? And if the rents are coming apart, the lease-ups aren't happening, it gets cautious real, real quick. So the, the story that we've generally seen and we've heard from our advisory on the multifamily side was there is part of the market that's been almost absolutely dead on the diligence front, just very little volume. The exception would be like the ultra lux. Think of like a custom home in the sky, really expensive luxury apartments. Those are still getting some work. We're still getting some work on that end. And a lot of those projects will be deal flow that turns into starts in 2025. Mm -hmm. But the possibility remains of a real air gap in late 2024 until that point. So if on the other hand, if rents remain strong or remain stable or aren't as bad as what the market thinks they're going to be right now, it could be a signal that the underlying, this is the like the supply-demand imbalance, that the underlying backdrop for household formation is stronger than what's been in the past. And there is that appetite for the capital to go ahead and do another wave, but it'll be lumpy and volatile either way. To equate it to single family, just so that I'm understanding it, it's sort of one of those where we talk about housing affordability all the time. As the cost of existing housing stock and new homes goes up, there's this concern that at some point we're going to reach that level and buyers are going to be scared away and they're not going to buy. And I think we felt that sometime in the last 18 months that we, we really felt like, okay, it's gotten too expensive. Buyers aren't going to, are going to get out of the market. And that really didn't happen as much as we thought. So is that kind of the situation we find ourselves in with rents is that we don't know where that might be, but we just have to watch that very closely. Because if renters are all gangbuster on renting, then we're in good shape. But if it scares them away and they find other options, then there's cause for concern. Right. Rent is a great signal from the market price-wise of what consumers are willing to do. The way I think about coming into 2024 is if you reround history and went back to the early 80s, the last time we saw this, this really increase in mortgage rates and this affordability squeeze, what we saw happen for the headship rate, which is the percentage of adults that are either living on their own or if, they're, if it's a lower number, then they're living with other people. Basically, people moved in with other roommates for about a year and a half to two years until rates came down. And then sure enough, they came back and we saw housing begin to boom again and the household formation rate jumped. 
But that's the risk, yeah. is not whether or not they pay rent, but whether or not they roommate two or three up versus do it solo, because it totally changes the total number of multifamily apartments that you need yeah. to fill the void. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, well, let's move on to the flip side. What are some of the things that you're seeing or hearing in the market that are making you optimistic about 2024? Yes. So let's talk about this recent discussion around mortgage rates coming down, maybe a fuzz in 2024. So uh, in the last couple of weeks, the Fed has indicated the possibility, it's not even that universal, but several, several officials at the Fed talked about the possibility of reducing rates maybe three times. We had built into our forecast mortgage rate that was in the kind of mid sixes, which wouldn't be right in line with what that is. But that's a big deal. And just to give you a sense of how important that number is, so we're in, at the time of recording this, about the third week of December. And one of the things that Zonda has is really good data around everything that's going on with the builders. And so one of the numbers that I watch is what's going on for builder traffic and sales conversions and cancellation rates. And I can tell you, over the last three weeks, sequentially, we saw such an improvement, almost a 300 basis point improvement in cancellation rates, that much better in just three weeks sequentially. It's about the same improvement as what we saw from, say, April of 2020, when COVID fears were just lambasting home sales, mm. to like May and June. Remember how fast that bounced and that turned. The degree of that sequential spring, and that was a springtime. We're talking December. This is one of the worst months. And we've seen that sequential improvement just about in line with that, that modest decline with mortgage rates. So there's a case to be made that the at-the-margin buyer could really be responding to that incentive of lower rates. We're going to watch that closely, but that's really positive. The other thing that uh, I get really excited about on the building product side is we talked a little bit about this before, the cycle time effect of builders getting a month faster, two months faster has a huge impact for building product manufacturers, especially some of the component suppliers. So what you could see happen is just as builders get marginally more efficient next year, the equivalent of getting maybe a, a quarter or maybe half a quarter extra revenue, that looks great on a year-over-year basis. It's a one-time item, but that'll happen. And from a remodeling standpoint, I know most of your listeners don't particularly focus on remodeling, but they should because one of the things that we've uncovered is that on a per-square-foot basis, we think that there's been very little pull-forward in home improvement, that there's a lot of catch-up that has to, to occur which means that the overall cost and pricing of either fixing up your existing home, hiring a pro to do that has to go up, or you can go buy a new home. And there's a case to be made that we'll see some people pushed out of their existing homes into a new home, which is basically what we saw happen in 2023. So just so I understand that last point, there's there will become a point where the cost of remodeling will get such that it's almost a less expensive or at least easier option to just seek out new yeah, here's how we think about that. So if you were to go way back over the last few decades and try to account for inflation and changes in prices and all those things, uh, a real simple thumb rule that you could use is that if you own a home, say a 2,000 square foot home, you should be spending on average about $1.25, $1.23, someplace in there per year, every single year, just to keep up with typical maintenance and repair cost, right? just to keep up on the home. And so this big surge that we saw in 2021, which was a big year-over-year growth, a lot of spending happened, but that basically got 
the prior years in line with what should have happened normally, but it wasn't like this unusual excess amount of remodeling that occurred when you account for like the fact that they had to spend it per square foot. Mm-hmm. So where we're at right now is like a dollar five. Our forecast for next year is like a dollar seven. Mm-hmm. And so my case is that that's a dollar seven to a dollar twenty five a square foot is a pretty sizable percent increase. And that's off the entire housing stock. So if you're a supplier to the housing sector, a manufacturer, that's equivalent to many more housing starts worth of materials just to keep up with the underlying spend that has to happen on the overall stock. Oh, I see. Good. That helps. Okay. So Todd, last question for you. Last year, at the beginning of the year, when you were on this podcast, you predicted that building material suppliers would potentially perform better than, say, builders over the course of the year. And I just wanted to look back at your prognostication skills and ask you sort of how you feel that panned out over 2023. If you're a component manufacturer and you're selling into the housing space, you've generally seen your revenue outperform where starts have been. So that's similar. That's in line with that theme. The -hmm. exception would be the manufacturers that have a lot of DIY remodeling exposure, which is part of the market that's really suffering from that credit unwind right now. Mm-hmm. And the manufacturers that are exposed to other parts of the market that have nothing to do with directly into new res. So think of like like flooring replacement or things like that. That's a totally different animal. But generally speaking, for those who are on this call selling components, yeah, they did get that lift. Now, from a valuation standpoint, from a valuation standpoint, we saw the builders increase almost 70% in, in 2023 from a really low base to start the year. So I don't we have not seen the equity prices or the share prices of the building product manufacturers do anything like that. I actually think there's a pretty compelling case that'll be the next group to run, but partly it's because the builders were just so low to start the year. But it mm-hmm. seemed like a reasonable call at the time. Yeah. No, that, that's the uh, the challenge of always looking in the crystal ball, right? It's sort of like, you, you, you're going to get it close. You might not get it right, but you're going to get close. If, if, particularly if you're Zonda and you have all that information at your fingertips, right? That's we just hope. keep revising until we eventually find the right information. It's easier in December, I'll tell you, than it is in January. <laughs> well, we'll definitely have to have this conversation again in December and so to see how you did. One last thing, Todd, is it sounds like sort of what you are forecasting for over the course of the year is that there is going to be this shift for component manufacturers who let's say, have primarily multifamily customers and are doing that kind of work versus those who are doing single family. Over the last couple of years, multifamily has really outpaced single family and at almost a historic level, right? And it sounds like that's going to be correcting in 2024. Is that right? Yeah. Our overall forecast, just to give some context around it is for, we think if you lump all of the new construction revenue that's sold into from building product manufacturers, that you should see roughly a three to 6% revenue growth, but that includes single family. And there are two very diverging stories there, single family growing, multifamily kind of coming back. The other piece that I would lump onto that, it's not lost on us that the last time we saw there is precedent to the last time we saw such a large amount of multifamily projects like work in progress, just like there are right now. And what was really encouraging about that time was that would have been 1973, right around the same number of multifamily units work in progress. And uh, if we look at the amount of capture that building product suppliers captured of the entire value chain, they gained almost 200 basis points of incremental share of the overall value chain. So that's all extra margin. And then still continue to hold on price-wise, margin-wise for almost 10 years. 
even after that multifamily kind of level of work in progress normalized. So I would say, yes, you'll see pretty significant differences between different parts of their their income statement on, on the revenue side, but I'm slightly more positive on the margin line because of that historical precedent. Excellent. Well, Todd, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you, Sean. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, please give this podcast a favorable rating and share it with others. Also, consider subscribing to SBCA's Component Connection podcast on whatever platform you use most. That way, you'll immediately know when we publish our next podcast. This has been a Component Connection podcast brought to you by SBCA. If there's a topic you'd like us to cover in a future episode, send it to podcast at sbcacomponents.com. Thank you.